Now let's go to the word of the Lord. And um, before, even before we do that, um, let me just uh, recap a little bit what we preached on last uh, Sunday. And uh, we're, the, the Apostle Paul is meditating on uh, not looking back, but rather looking forward to what God has called him. And he's, he's uh, inviting us to uh, concentrate on the Christian calling, to let go, to uh, unburden ourselves of anything that hinders the race that we have been called to run in the Christian life. You know, uh, often the Christian walk is about letting go of things and then putting on new things. You know, the Bible says, for example, about letting go of the old man or woman and clothing ourselves with Jesus, clothing ourselves with Christ. And so often there's a lot of uh, letting go in order to embrace, um, letting go in order to go to where God is calling us. And, and, you know, there are many, many images of that in the scriptures. For example, Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, and thank you, that's where I'm going to go ultimately, uh, Genesis, that's good. But uh, let me just, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit just to let us know where we are and, you know, follow up from there. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12, okay, thank you, let us throw off everything that hinders, you see? Throwing off is a very graphic image. It's about not just, you know, letting go. It's about really casting away, rejecting, throwing off. Everything that hinders. Is there something in your life that is hindering you from being all that God wants you to be? Is there some thought process, some habit, some practice, some action, an environment, whatever it is? What is it that is preventing you from attaining all that God has for you? From becoming all that God wants you to be and that you yourself want to be in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, well, take that away. Take that off. Throw it off. Anything that hinders, that impedes your progress. The sin, for example. That's just one area. The sin that so easily entangles those practices, those habits, those attitudes that grieve the Holy Spirit. And that prevent you from ingesting and, and feeling that power of God coursing through you, running through you powerfully. For growth and for service and for progress in the kingdom. And this says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, there's, there's one word that the Bible uses, and, and I think I got to speak a little bit about that last Sunday, but really at the end, it says, consider him who endured the cross. That word, consider analogizomai, it means to focus on, to the exclusion of everything else, in order to be able to continue with perseverance running that race, like Jesus did. I mean, Jesus lived a life of uh, deprivations. He lived a life of um, denial of self, a, a life of trials, of difficulties, of struggles. He did all of that. And he, what kept him there was the prize of the salvation of mankind. That was the prize that Jesus 
was uh, preparing for all his life. And, and, and the Bible says, consider him, look at him with such fixation, with such concentration of gaze, that you yourself will be inspired, that you will not be weary, you will not grow weary and lose heart in the Christian life. And so there's, there's, um, there's that verse that, that I wanted to you know, talk about. Again, Hebrews 12, let us throw off everything that hinders, because that captures the idea. So now let's go to Philippians chapter 3, and um, we will continue there. But even, uh, I'll begin at verse 7, although really verse 12 is what uh, captivates my attention. But verse 7 in that same chapter of Philippians says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That's 3, 7. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You know, that, that verse I think is important to read uh, in the light of what we're going to be talking about because it suggests something is that you know, not everything that we need to cast off in order to run, you know, more advantageously the, the race of faith. Not everything is negative. Not everything is bad. There are things that we have in our life that, you know, they're, they're not necessarily bad. But in the light of what we want to attain, it's, it's not conducive to running the race advantageously. It's like, I mean, you know, a, a suit, for example, is not a bad thing. But for a runner, for a marathoner, it can be. Imagine running a race of 26 miles like I have a suit and tie on, right? And, but a suit is, is okay. It's not bad. But, but for the purposes that you are pursuing, it's not the best thing, right? So you have to let go of it. You have to run lightly. A T-shirt might, uh, might be bad in a certain context, but in the context of the Christian faith and the Christian run, the race, you know, you have to run lightly. So, I, you know, I think what Paul is saying, you know, he was a Pharisee. He was a pious man. He was a respected member of his community. He loved God. But uh, the way that he loved God and some of the things that he was doing at that time, his identity as a Pharisee and so on and so forth, it wasn't bad in itself. But for what he needed to do, representing the gospel, Jesus life by grace. Now, in that context, uh, being a Pharisee with all the burdens of the law and, and uh, you know, righteousness through works and all the rituals and so on and so forth, it wasn't the most convenient thing. So he had to let go of that. And, you know, I think that's important because many times there are, there are good things in our life that um, not necessarily help us in the Christian race. You know, I, I remember when the Lord took a hold of me, I was just beginning a graduate school. And, um, you know, when I was uh, in college, I had some really good friends. Uh, these were, you know, I mean, people who, uh, the dean of students, for example, at Princeton. He was a friend of mine. And um, I remember that we had some good times, but they were not good times for a Christian. And... Um, you know, and, and other friends as well who, who you know, they, they were good people, sincere, they loved me, they, um, 
you know, we had, we had studied together, we had good uh, values about success and about living life productively, but their, their secular way of being, some of the habits that we practice in that context were not good for my Christianity. So when I left uh, Princeton, I had to let go of many of those friendships. I really did because for, uh, the, God was speaking to me about serving him, consecrating my life fully. And with pain in my heart, I, I let go of all of those things. I, I lost some beautiful, wonderful friends. And I still lament many times having, you know, um, lost those wonderful friendships. But they were not good for the next level. I knew that as I continued having intimacy with them, either their habits were not, and these are good people, by the way. Let me just say that again. These are not evil people or anything like that. But their ways of thinking, some of the practices that, that we engaged in, uh, they, 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 they were burdens. They were a suit that I needed to let go of. And to this day, I grieve having lost some of those friendships. And, uh, you know, so many times it can be like that. Many times it can be a job. It can be a job that prevents you from being all that you can be in the kingdom. The job may be great. It may be uh, prestigious. It may do good things. But you know that that is uh, grieving the Holy Spirit, that it is not allowing you to come to church, for example. How many people, their job is so demanding and so burdensome that they, they cannot serve the Lord freely. And, uh, you know, they're making a lot of money, but that, that seven-bedroom house enslaves them. They have to pay for it. And so they need this job that demands 60, 80 hours a week. And it's poisoning their marriage. It's not allowing them to be the parents that they want to be and so on and so forth. So that may, you may have to let go of that beautiful good thing because it's not conducive to that. You know, music, for example... I remember, you know, in, in back in those days when I was uh, seeking to grow closer to the Lord, you know, I, I, I loved the salsa. I, I loved, uh, you know, putting my radio on immediately as soon as I got into the car. And salsa is not bad. You know, the music is not bad. But sometimes the images that are, that are in some of the music, it, it, it revives, it awakens things that you prefer to, you know, just lie asleep. And so many times, you know, sometimes the, even the, the things, it's not that we become holier than thou or we become, you know, Pharisees. But we have to understand that um, there are things that either strengthen you and advance you toward that state of communion with God or that pull you back and distract you. Images that interfere with your mind, things that, you know, values that you are ingesting as you consume certain kinds of media, even wonderful articles that are so stimulating and, and, and so engaging and enriching culturally or intellectually, you know, sometimes you have to read behind uh, the line or in between the lines to see that they are infiltrating your mind with values and images that a Christian who is uh, fully engaged with the worldview of the gospel and the kingdom and the Bible you know, should not be ingesting. And if you're, going to, if you're going to consume that kind of media, you should do it critically. You should do it uh, maybe like a spy, reading things that you need to understand because you need the intelligence in order to do damage to the kingdom of evil. But don't read them uh, uncritically. 
You see, so the, the Christian life really is like an athlete. I mean, it, it's an athletic life where there are things that you have to let go of. You know, a marathoner who has to run 26 miles or, or you know, even a mile has to let go of a lot of weight. You know, there are things that uh, people who are in a normal life can consume and eat. They can eat all the hot dogs they want. But a marathoner needs to be extremely lean in order to run long distances. And so his lifestyle needs to reflect that. Things that, are, things that would be good for normal human beings, for an athlete, even, even a, a regular athlete, not, never mind somebody who's trying to seek the Olympic gold, they need to live a very lean lifestyle. Their lifestyle needs to reflect their aspirations. And the level of concentration that they engage in needs to reflect the quality, the intensity of the, the goal that they have in mind. So, again, when Paul says letting go of things, you know, letting go of throwing off everything that hinders, it's not necessarily evil or bad. It's, it's anything that does not contribute to the goal of being an athlete in the spirit, of being somebody who runs the race with absolute um, efficiency. And so much of the language of the Christian life in the Bible is about concentration, it's about endurance, it's about perseverance, it's about the fixing eyes on something, it's about letting go of any extra ounce of uh, burden or baggage that prevents you. Because you have one call. You have one focus. You have one uh, commitment. It is to become the best, most effective instrument for God's glory. And if you're, you know, tossed back and forth with conflicting um, urges or images or thoughts or values, you cannot do that. To, and, and, you know, I also spoke about, uh, and some of this is uh, going back, but also going forward. You know, uh, the, the, the Bible speaks about hating certain things. Jesus says, for example, if you don't hate your mother and your father, you are not worthy of being my disciple. Now, of course, he did not mean, I hasten to say that. He didn't mean hate, literally. But sometimes the Bible speaks in terms of hyperbole to graphically um, put something in our minds. He says, if you don't value the kingdom... So much, and the calling of the gospel so much that even the love that you have for your parents is so uh, overwhelmed and so overshadowed by the love that you have for God to the point that it seems that you hate your, your father and your mother. In other words, uh, the love for parents or for friends has to be so overshadowed by the love for God and your commitment to the kingdom that it seems like hatred. By comparison, it seems like hatred. And it can be anything else, a career, a relationship. Whatever it is has to take way, way back seat to your commitment to the Lord. And many people, they don't get there. See, they don't get to the point where they, they hate what they are doing. You know, there, there's a place to hate. I, I think I, I hear echoes of uh, Solomon's Ecclesiastes. There's a time to hate and a time to love. A time for war and a time for peace. 
You know, there, there, there are times for war. And there are times to hate things. Not your brother or your sister, but certainly certain values, certain practices, certain states of mind that are so contrary to the call of God in your life that you have to hate it. And until you get to hate it, you know, as I said, I think I, I touched on that last Sunday. Uh, sometimes we have to get to the point where we despise where we are, our present state. The Apostle Paul got to that point in Romans where he says, miserable man that I am. You know, uh, he, he was sick and tired of his humanity that dragged him down. And that was like a, a dead body tied to him, preventing him from going to where he needed to get. And so, my brothers and sisters, we have to ask the Lord many times, Father, get me to the point where I despair if I don't receive an impartation of holiness and of uh, holy desire for you. And many times God has to drag us there in all kinds of ways that, that, um, that dramatize how much we need to give up. I told you about my, my struggle with my rotator cuff last Sunday. Until I got to the point where I, 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 my, it disturbed my sleep significantly, I was willing to live with that limitation. When it got serious enough, I said, hmm, I got to take action here. And sometimes God will allow you to get to that point in order for you to say, you know, I got to wake up. I got to go to another level. So intensity, desperation, utter rejection, uh, de desperate embrace. These are the images that you need to have in order to be a, a believer that is uh, going to the next level in your Christian walk. At least one person is with me here. I hear an amen there somewhere. Thank you. I, I, I so appreciate that. <laughs> These are things that we need to do also, you know, in order to encourage ourselves. And, um, you know, so, uh, by the way, the sermon notes uh, for this message, both last Sundays and this Sunday's, are in the web page, uh, lionofjudah.org, where I think sermon notes, I believe they're there. I sent them to uh, Javier this morning. So, um, you know, you can, you can follow on that during the week. I, I wrote a lot of what I, I'm speaking about out, so it'll be easy to follow. Now, again, not, I, I'll, I'll stay here with this idea. Not all the things that we need to reject are necessarily bad. We need to also embrace the good. But, you know, another thing that sometimes we need to do in, in letting go, and especially letting go of the past, it, ha it does have to do with um, sinful things. For example, one of the things that Paul needed to forget was the sins of the past. Paul had been a Pharisee, and in his, in his old life, he hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He was there when uh, um, Stephen was being stoned. And he was so enthusiastic about what they were doing that he held the clothing of some of the men that were stoning so they could stone him with more efficiency. And this is a wound in his psyche. So Paul, when he's speaking, when he's speaking about letting go of the past and of the things that were behind him, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about. Interestingly enough, he, 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 he spoke of it several times. So somehow, even in letting go of the past, it was still there pursuing him. And that's an important contradiction. An, an irony that I think we need to, stay, to keep in mind in order to 
really get this teaching in all its complexity. So uh, he's speaking about forgetting the past, but he is also uh, showing us that, you know, the past is often very difficult to forget. The question is, is if we are going to allow the, that remembrance of the past to uh, paralyze us, to prevent us from going to, to where God is taking us. So, you know, he, he remembered that he had persecuted believers. And as, as a matter of fact, he said he was the least of all the apostles because he had persecuted Christ and the church. So Paul, I'm sure that he needed to forgive himself. And he needed to remind himself that Jesus had forgiven him for that sin of the past. So he, 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 had, he had a struggle. So when he speaks to us about letting go of the past, I think he, is, he knows what he was talking about because he had to let go of the moral burden that that style of life, that action and its memory carried for him. So sometimes we cannot embrace our new identity fully as believers or go on with what God has for us. Many times because our past sins, our mistakes, they haunt us. There are things that we have done in the past that uh, come back to persecute us. Guilt sometimes torments us. And often this feeling of not being pleasing to God comes to our mind. We have made a mess of things. We have offended God deeply. So this bogs us down. This remembrance prevents us from enjoying our new Christian life. And from serving God effectively. It poisons our present guilty thoughts, persecute us all the time. And sometimes we feel that somehow because of the magnitude of the sins that we have committed, you know, God probably has not forgiven us. And of course, if you don't feel forgiven, then you also feel that you should not be blessed, right? And so we are pursued by a legacy of failure and punishment because we, we don't believe that God is going to bless us to the same degree that he, his word says that he will, that others will be blessed. You know, sometimes there are, there's a pervading sadness that comes from sufferings and traumas of the past. That's another area. You know, some of us had difficult childhoods. We did not get the love that uh, we required to blossom and to, you know, flourish as, as uh, children. Sometimes we had a difficult relationship with our parents. We were not affirmed enough. And we lived a, uh, a, a sad childhood, like, Jabez in, in the Bible. And so we're, we're, we're burdened down with, uh, how many people have we had conversations with that, you know, their, their deficient childhood, their lack of love, they didn't have a good relationship with their parents, or it was an abusive relationship even. They had a lonely childhood, maybe a, a handicap of some sort, a physical impediment kept them from, maybe kids made fun of them when they were, and they, they retreated into loneliness, silence, you know, uh, setting themselves apart. And then when you grow, you get married, you have children, you may be even successful, but there's all kinds of debris and ill-smelling garbage that is still in your psyche. And it is there because, you know, that's the way the, the, the psyche is a deposit. And if you don't take it out somehow, if you don't process it, it's going to stay there. You can, you can drop a lot of other good things on top of it, but you know, it will smell. And, and so we need to deal with all of that because sometimes all of those memories, all of those things, they will come back to persecute us. 
over and over again. Because, and we have to understand that these things will hold us back from pursuing a life of creativity and achievement. Because we feel that we, we are doomed to fail. You know, and sometimes God needs to come and say, hey, I love you. Believe me. I have good things for you. I'm not angry at you anymore. You don't need to live mired in the memories of that defective past. Maybe you were abused sexually. Maybe you even cooperated somehow with that situation. And uh, you need to be cleansed of that sense of being dirty or being complicit. And, and God, you know, God often surprises us with the level of his generosity. You know, sometimes we are continually dazzled by the magnitude of God's love and capacity to forgive us. Because we feel, I've made a mess of things, and, and therefore, I, how can God forgive me? You know, I, I think of uh, Jeremiah 29, where God tells Jeremiah to, to speak to the Jews that are now in Babylon in exile. God sent them into exile. You've got re to remember that. After hundreds of years of threatening to do precisely that, their sin was so persistent, so grievous, so scandalous, that God grew more and more offended and angry with them. And, um, you know, they, 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 uh, they received the maximum punishment. Which was, which was to be exiled, to be taken out from that land that was so close to them, their identity. God had given it to them, and God wrenched them from that <clears throat> and sent them into exile. And so there you have these Jews now, having, gone, uh, having received the, the maximum punishment, having seen their land ravaged, thousands and thousands of their friends being killed, their whole life upset. And now they are living in another land. I mean, can you imagine of something more, more symbolic of separation from God? If you thought the land was the, the symbol of God's blessing, now that is taken away from you. And you are in the land of the enemy. And your whole life has been turned upside down. And there, God sends them a message. Because now they're feeling there's no future for us. We got what we deserved. We blew it. And there's no possibility of redemption. And God's love is so incredibly resilient that not only does he, uh, you know, not continue punishing them in the sense of, uh, you know, wreaking more havoc in their lives. He sends them a letter. And it, when you read Jeremiah 29, you see what God is saying to them. He's saying to the Jews who are there, feeling that there's no hope for them because they have committed the maximum sin. He says to them, listen, don't give up. Uh, continue living life. Get your children married. Get into business. Start businesses. Plant gardens. R reproduce. Live life. Because my punishment to you has a limitation. You will be there for 70 years. And after 70 years, I will call you back to the land again. So he's, he's telling them, have hope. You know, continue living. Thrive. And that's what you got to do many times. You know, when you feel that it's, it's 
God is through with you or that life has dealt you a really bad hand. You got to continue living every day. You know, never give up. You have to, you know, continue living because I, I, I and that's something that I, I, in reflecting upon this, you know, I, I, and, and in writing other things that I've been writing lately, it, it's about how you can renew your mind by changing your practices. In other words, you know, it's hard to, for a surgeon to go into the mind. He can operate on the brain, but he cannot operate on the mind. The mind is where the thoughts and the thought patterns reside. What is the way? How can you change your mind? How can you renew your mind? You renew your mind. Well, number one is through the power of the Holy Spirit, but number two is by acting in a way that reflects what you want your mind to be like. So, in other words, if you are depressed, don't just uh, wallow in depression. When the day begins, you know, you got to dress nicely, get up from bed, even though your body is telling, your mind is telling you, just lie there. You have to dress nicely. You have to go outside. You have to even just get a cup of coffee, call someone, have a conversation, worship the Lord, read the word, praise the God, confess positive things. Because in practicing these outward things, you will be affecting your mind. And your mind then will begin to react to your practices. So this is called, by the way, in psychology, behavior modification. The whole area of behavioral psychology is uh, predicated on this idea that you can change your mind by changing your actions and your practices. And so if you are feeling tempted to give up, what you got to do is do the opposite of what your broken mind is telling you to do. In the spirit, okay? In a prophetically. This is why this morning I said, you know, many times we come to church on a Sunday like this, so cold. You know, it, it, we're, we're, we're like uh, Jonathan's car. We're frozen. And, and so this is where you have to do the opposite. You got to worship. You got to stand up. You got to raise your hands. You got to travail. You got to cry out to the Lord. You know, you have to do the opposite. You're at home right now. You know, COVID has, has frozen the fluids in our psyche. And so people are tempted to just stay home, right? It's cold. I, I, I can watch the, the program here. I, you got to do the opposite. You, you have to get up, I mean, because worshiping God is so important. And I, if the church is going to heal from this cursed time that we have been living, it will have to be done by believers who understand the mysteries of the spiritual life. That you got to do the opposite of what your body and your flesh are telling you to do. You got to tell yourself, you know, I'm not going to let this, this uh, plague take away from me the greatest privilege that the church has, which is to come into the temple and worship the living God. You know, for me, it's a point of honor. For me, it's a point of honor. If I feel fear, I'm going to do the very opposite of what that fear dictates. I'm going to go toward the enemy. If my spirit has been pummeled by, by this thing, I, I will not be enslaved by that. I'm going to fight until I break through. And so I believe that if the church, by the way, this is, this is part of the sermon, don't, don't believe me. Um, if the church is going to heal from this time that we have been uh, living in, it's going to have to be done by people who will understand that it is, it is natural to, to be broken by a protracted, extended time like the one that we have been living, and that as believers... We can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. And that therefore we have to go the opposite direction. 
And if you, and if you begin to practice the old practices, disciplines of going to church, of worshiping the Lord, of serving the Lord, you will break through. And at some point, you will be back to where you were before. Again, this is the whole thing about, you know, the, the, the insights of behavioral psychology and behavior, behavior modification. Behavioral psychology says that if you practice something for more than 21 days, between 21 days and 154 days, they've gotten to that point of researching. If you practice a habit long enough, uh, it becomes then it's something that is, you know, ingrained. And you can practice it easily then. So just like we practiced negatively staying in, home, in our home, in our apartments, locked up, fearful, peeking through the blinds to see where COVID is hiding, we got to say, you know what, I'm going to, not only am I going to put the blinds up, I'm going to just destroy them. I'm going to tear them down. I'm going to go and I'm going to live life. Others are living life in other parts of this nation or other parts of the world. They're living life just fine. Thank you. Why can't we, believers who have the full provision of God, why cannot we find that same gumption, that same strength, that same resiliency? Amen? Why? It is about, uh, you, you cannot live in fear, my brothers and sisters. You cannot live in condemnation. The devil wants to throw these attitudes into you and paralyze you and prevent you from living a full life. And so you got to do the opposite. And you got to understand it's, it's an interplay between mind and psychology and spirit. You have to learn again. We, I, I believe that uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ in this time needs to find its way back to, to what we were before. If nothing else, for the honor of Christ, for the honor of his church, if nothing else, do it for the honor of Christ and of the gospel. And you will be okay. You will not die. You will live. You will thrive. So many times, you know, Satan wants to uh, paralyze us with, with condemnation, with fear about the past and what we did not get, what people did to us, how they exploited us. How, you, you, that's totally against the values of the kingdom of God. You have to live a resilient life. You have to live a positive life. You have to do the opposite of what your flesh is telling you to do. You cannot live in resentment for what others did to you. If you were abused as a little girl or as a little boy, you cannot uh, wallow in that memory the rest of your life. You, you cannot. At some point you have to say, you know what, I'm going to let go of that. That was done to me, but that's not who I am in Christ. I am clean. I am free. I am whole. I am healthy. I am blessed. God has given me a new destiny, a new name, a, a new perspective. And you have to embrace that. In the beginning, it's going to be difficult because your brain is, is, is already programmed in a certain way. How are you going to break the program? You got to do it one action at a time, one prophetic act at a time. Do the very opposite of what your flesh is telling you to do. If your psyche is telling you resent, get into a corner, don't speak, don't serve. You say, no, I'm going to do the very opposite because this is what the Word of God dictates. I'm going to let go of the old program and slowly begin to renew my mind. Renew my mind. That's a profound thing. How are we going to enter into the new program that God is calling us? You know, again, going back to psychology, I've learned to respect many of the insights. 
of the studies on the brain and on, on the neurological structure of uh, the, the individual. And, uh, you know, you have to rewire your brain. Even as we pray for God to bless us and to change, you know, but sometimes we over-spiritualize things. I have discovered through my own life that it's not all just, uh, you know, rebuking the devil and, and claiming the blessing. There's a lot of work that you yourself have to do. There's a lot of stuff that needs to take place in your brain, in this mind here, because we are neurological beings. And our behaviors and our feelings have a hardwire equivalent in the brain. You see, you could not feel anything. You could not register anything in your psyche unless it is somewhere in the brain. Because the brain is what processes everything that you experience. And so God has to also work in the brain. And this is one thing that we don't understand that many times, you know, particularly people who, uh, you know, have a brain that is not functioning completely well because, of, because there are different situations. A person with Down syndrome has a problem in their brain. And you can't just rebuke the Down syndrome. Now, God can do all kinds of wonderful things, but, uh, you know, the fact is that, you know, we have, to, we have to work through our brains, and we have to, if you don't perform certain actions that will rewire, help rewire your brain, and, and the part that where the Holy Spirit comes in is, in is empowering you to do certain things, to carry out certain actions, even when you don't want to. That's what you need to say, Father, strengthen my spirit, strengthen my will so that I can carry out these practices that will enable my brain to be reprogrammed and my spirit to be strengthened. So it's an, it's an interrelationship of these different factors. I have benefited from understanding that it, not all is spirit. We Christians, particularly Pentecostals, we tend to over-spiritualize the process of renewal of the mind. And uh, we just want to all, you know, it's just like a fuzzy, abstract thing. No, there are elements that you have to, you have to uh, cooperate by understanding that in order, for example, to let go of the past, in order to have your mind renewed, it may take a while. You know, now, God has cleansed you. God has forgiven you. God has put into you the power to change many things. But now it becomes a matter of you cooperating with the Holy Spirit, doing your part, and saying, I can do all things in Christ that strengthens me. Letting go of your past life one habit at a time, one practice at a time, one day at a time. Sometimes failing and getting up, failing and getting up until it's, uh, that, that uh, attitude is strengthened and, you know, screwed into your psyche. And it becomes second nature. So you got to let go of certain things and you got to put on certain things. And many times that will take you a long time. I think many Christians, uh, you know, are defeated very quickly in the process of self-transformation and change and letting go of the past because they think that it's a magical thing that's going to happen overnight. And so all of a sudden they're surprised when it doesn't happen overnight and they get discouraged. I mean, if you think that something is going to take just a, a trip is going to take you two minutes and it ends up being four hours, wouldn't you get discouraged? Of course you would. But if you know that it's going to take you four hours, then you're prepared psychologically for it. And I think many believers are uh, lured into this idea that the process of self-transformation, of change, of letting go of the past, or putting on the new man is something that just happens, you know, by magic. Lord, change me. Here I am. And then you keep doing all the things that you normally do. You keep strengthening the same habits. And uh, you don't begin slowly the process of renewal of the mind that leads to transformation in the end. 
And so uh, we have to understand that uh, the Christian life is an agonizing life as well. But man, what a heroic life it is as well. You live like a hero. You are a knight in shining armor or a knightess. Is that is their word, a knightess in shining armor? Whatever it is, you are fighting <clears throat> and God is empowering you. You're not living like a wimp. You're living like a warrior every day, fighting against yourself, fighting against your old nature, fighting against Satan who wants to mire you down with thoughts and practices and habits and mental strongholds every day in the power of Christ. And that should actually, it should enhance your self-esteem. You know, God could touch you with a magic wand if he wanted to. Of course he would. But then you wouldn't learn patience. You wouldn't learn humility. You wouldn't learn compassion for others who struggle. You wouldn't gain insight into the, the mysteries of your personality and of the spirit. You wouldn't get to know this God who sometimes holds back. I think it was uh, David who was saying, you know, sometimes we, we say, God, you're late. No, no, I'm not. I, I'm arriving right on time. I wanted you to stew a little bit, to wallow a little bit in your pain so that you understand how important it is for you to cooperate. You know, God is a systemic God, and, and he, he takes time. And we have to understand that the, the process of letting go, the process of self-transformation is a lifetime. Sanctification takes place over a lifetime, even with the power of the Holy Spirit. But in God, all your struggles are being used to create this Christ-like figure, this man or woman full of insight, full of mercy, compassion, patience, Dependency on God, humility, you know, and so it takes a lot of time. This is, if anything I can tell you is that the Christian life is a, is a life of a process. And as God calls you into that new life, into that new behavior, you got to cooperate, you got to work at it, and you got to engage in prophetic actions that are the very opposite of what you are inclined to do. And while I'm at it, let me just continue then here because, you know, it's like living a spirit-filled life. I think many people who have lived in a more sort of um, evangelical, common, you know, um, uh, I was going to say run-of-the-mill. That, that's a value attached to that. But you know what I mean? Uh, if you want to escape from a common evangelical life and you want to enter into a spirit-filled, fiery, intense, supernatural filled life, sometimes you will have to begin by doing things that you yourself are not feeling. And then as you practice them, again, behavioral psychology, as you practice these things that you are not feeling, they actually become a part of you. So many people, for example, for them to raise their hand in, in worship is uh, an unthinkable thing. Right? Well, you know what? You, there has to come the day when you are so desperate for a spiritual life that you find yourself, oops, raising your hand. And your wife is going to look at you right next to you and say, what? And you're going to feel like a fool. But you got to do it. Sometimes you, being a very private, dignified person, do not want to come with all those crazy people and stand on front here when the pastor says, come forward and let's pray. And until you are willing to hear your knees creaking as you move from your seat and walking over, you will not have that flow of the Spirit in you. See, until you say amen and you scare yourself when you say it, you will not get to that. So many times the flow of the spirit, the spirit-filled life requires a, 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 a journey. Part of the journey is sterile, you know, hard and, and, and uh, even threatening. But you got to do it anyway. 
Because if you are going to wait until a little angel comes by and moves your little mouth and say hallelujah, it's not going to happen. Now, God has put the spirit in you, but you have to kindle that spirit. You have to fan it into flame. This is what Paul says to Timothy. You know, there's a part that you have to do. Yes, I know there are those spectacular stories of people who came into the church and they found themselves on the floor, frothing at the mouth and seeing angels around them. Yes, that does happen. But for the vast portion of us, getting into the full spiritual life is going to require effort. It, 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 the, the gifts are there, the, the desire of God to see you filled with the Spirit is there, but you got to provide a vessel. you got to provide a mind that is willing. You have to work with the Holy Spirit a little bit. And so in order to get to that powerful, dynamic, intense, rich Christian life that will allow, allow you to let go of the conventional life and enter into the fullness of the Spirit, you got to be willing to go through some... Feelings of being ridiculous and crazy and foolish. Um, and almost imitating the spirit-filled life until it becomes part of you. I mean, there's a whole lot of Christian literature uh, regarding that subject. Many, many very significant figures of uh, Christianity who had to go through that uh, process of doing things until they, they believed them and it became a part of them. And it's like that with everything, every other area of life. You have to cooperate by placing yourself in the right context, the right ambience, the right relationships, the right conversations, the right confessions, the right reading of the word, the right mental habits. Because those things you can control. You have a lot of agency in those areas. And, and they, the outside will operate on the inside. Many times you cannot operate on the inside directly. But the way to get into the inside is through the outside. Am I making sense here? Okay. That's the way the mysteries of the kingdom work. And I believe that all of this is implicated in what Paul is saying here. You know, that you've got to let go of certain things to enter into the fullness of what God has for you. I don't want to leave unfinished this, this image that I began about the, the Jews in Babylon. God writes to them. He says, hey, engage in the same practices that you engaged in back in Israel. Get, get your children married, start businesses, plant gardens, you know, and, and even pray for, the, for this land that you so hate, for these Babylonians who have captured you, force yourself to pray for them, for the peace of their city, because in that peace, you will also have peace. And so he says, live a proactive life, even if, you don't, even if you're depressed, even if you're feeling guilty, even if Satan is accusing you that you are there because you earned it and you deserve it, do the opposite. Live life. Practice life. Continue doing the things that you were doing before. Because at some point, I'm going to liberate you and I'm going to get you back to Israel and to Jerusalem. So be encouraged. He says, and you know, so trust me. Trust me that, that uh, as you do these things, just trust me. Because I know the thoughts that I have for you. That's the, that's the context of that verse 11 in Jeremiah 29. Because I am, believe me, I am, I am determined I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you the end that you desire. This is, the, 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 this is how resolved the God is to bless us and to bring us out of the darkness that sometimes we ourselves have gotten into. God is saying, hey, don't tell me what I, what, what I think about you. You may, you may think that I am incensed and angry, 
at, at you. But what I know that I feel is love for you, and I have a good purpose for you. I have a good future for you. I have good plans for you. And that is what you have, you have to expect. Now, before you get to experience that good intention of God, you got to patiently live out your life day by day. Do go through the motions. I'm going to ask the team to come forward, the worship team. Um, you know, many times uh, the Christian life is a life of obedience. It's a life of doing things that you do not feel like doing. It's a life of discipline. Discipline is so important in the Christian life. We've lost that, that call to discipline. You know, in our time, everything is, if it feels good, you do it. Be spontaneous. Be sincere. Don't do anything that you don't feel. And, you know, God says, no, there are good things that you need to do before you feel them. And, and uh, so there is a call to discipline for the church in our time. There is a call to practice things that we have lost the trail of, to engage in things that we don't feel like engaging in anymore. And sometimes it's, a, it's just living in obedience, in trust, in faith to the Lord until He fully executes what He has promised that He was going to do. Let the promise of the goodness of God be the mark, be the, the, the goal, be the expectation, be the prize. Keep your eyes focused on that moment when the cavalry will run and come to your aid and you will hear the trumpets and the, the, you know, of, of the cavalry and God will say, hey, here I am. I told you I was going to come, right? You got to live your life in that expectation. Right now, you may be going through some turmoil, some difficulties, depressions. You know, you may be struggling with um, uh, strongholds in your mind that, they, they, that the devil just is trying to keep it there, to break you break you and you got to say no I'm going to hold on to the promise of the goodness of God like Job he says even if I die I will see him my flesh will see him maybe Job didn't believe what he was saying but he said it anyway that's to his credit we have to confess until we confirm let's say we have to declare until we see the goodness of God in our lives. Can you say right now in your spirit, I am worthy. God has not given up on me. The best is yet to come. I am forgiven. I am worthy of God's goodness and blessing. I will not wallow in self-condemnation or self-deprecation or or a sense of unworthiness, low self-esteem, abandonment, loneliness. These are not territories that we are called to inhabit, God's people. There has to come a point when we rebel against the call of death, the call of the siren that calls us to crash against the rocks. And we have to say, no, I will not be enslaved. You, you got to rebel. You got to take some time to go into, uh, you know, a time of uh, fasting and prayer and say, when I emerge from here, I'm going to have a new song in my heart. You have to trust that God is with you. And so right now, I invite you to find that, that place inside yourself 
where the hope lies, where the promise lies. You know, 70 years is a long time to be in Babylon. Maybe you spent a long time in Babylon. But I want you to hear the, the father saying, no, I, I'm getting you out of there. Stay, hold on a little bit longer. Confess my goodness. Put on a little, little lip, some lipstick and put on a tie and go out to the shopping mall and stroll around a bit. Buy yourself a nice cup of a latte or something and celebrate. Even if you don't feel like celebrating, even if the coffee tastes like gasoline, still drink it and celebrate it. Sometimes we got to do that, people. And that's what encourages the Holy Spirit and forces the devil to flee. We are prophets. We, we create with our actions and with our declarations. Just like God created the world with his mouth, we create it by what we confess, what we say. Hold on. Hold on. Liberation is coming. And revel in that expectation of God's blessing. Confess it now. Shake yourself against the call to paralysis, to stagnation. Father, we, we press into your joy. We gravitate toward your blessing this morning. Lord, not only shall Congregation of Lion of Judah and your church not die in the 21st century, the best is yet to come. Your visitation will come, Lord. We will see the blessing of God erupt into our lives and into the life of your church. We will not die. We will live and we shall thrive in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We shake off the past. Satan, you are a liar. You have no power over us. We have been freed. We have been called into freedom and greatness and goodness and prosperity and blessing and energy and joy and laughter and a new song. Lord, I call this upon myself and my brothers and sisters tonight, this morning, Father. Visit us again. Visit us again, Father. Let the flowers bloom again. Let the song of the birds be heard again. Let the life of God blossom in, in the midst of this family, Father. And we bless your church all over the earth, all over America, in Canada, in Europe, Lord. Let the rain of the Spirit fall. Let the land experience again the fertility of the Holy Spirit, the rain of the Holy Spirit. Send the rain, Father. Oh, Lord, we need you more than ever. We're parched. The ground is dead and dry, and we, we need a visitation from you. And, Lord, we know that it will come. We confess it. We receive it, and we celebrate it. And, Father, if there's anyone here tonight, this morning that needs to be revived and renewed, I, I, right now I declare new life into their hearts and in their spirits. New life, new energy, liberation, Father. The capacity to believe in new things, to rejoice again. In Jesus' name, we rebuke the enemy. We rebuke Satan. Satan, we declare that you have no power over the life of God's people. We banish you from our midst and we embrace the life that God has called us into hallelujah hallelujah we rebuke the call of death and we embrace the call of life hallelujah we shall not die but we shall live we shall live we shall celebrate we shall thrive we shall live to declare the goodness of God and to be proof that he is who he is and that he's the same 
yesterday, today, forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We glorify you. We worship you. We worship you. We welcome your blessing. We welcome your goodness. We welcome your joy. We welcome your life. We welcome your freedom, Father. We welcome your freedom. We welcome your life. We welcome the light of the Spirit, Father. And we thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God.